0: Welcome, adventurers, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast all about tabletop gaming gaming. My name is Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And while we are a bi-weekly show, sometimes we have an in-between episode that we like to call a side quest, and this is one of those. So, to those of you who have been with us for some time, thank you as always for having our company in your day today. But if you're new to the show, maybe just checking out this ARC-specific episode,
1: welcome! Yes, welcome aboard, adventurers! We're in a bit of a timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly thing here, because Uh we're recording before Origins, but you'll be getting this in your ears after Origins. Oh, no, Thursday. (laughs) Thursday during. We're going to be hearing this while we're at Origins. Yes, yes. So if you're there, we hope you have a great weekend. Keep your eyes and ears on our feed. We may do a quick episode or two while we're here and check our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for all the photo and video updates. Hopefully not any bad photos of things that we do that can (laughs) haunt our chances for office.
0: (laughs) And while you're at at it, maybe give us a like. Give us that like on Facebook, Twitter, and especially give us that five-star review in iTunes. Scott, I don't even know what that does for us. Uh, it has something to do with visibility in some way. It's that- all
1: in algorithms. It's like whenever the catchphrase for a long times was plastics. Everything's in plastics. I, but now wow. it's everything's in algorithms. So that's <laughs> what it is now.
0: Well, adventurers, just know that when you give us that five star rating, you know what? To us, never mind what it does with algorithms. It, to me, you know what that is? That's like a big warm hug
1: from an old friend. Oh. Yes, and if you do, do join that BGG Guild, Guild 3722. That's us. You can just click in the show notes to get right to our forums, then click join. It's simple and easy. And hey, don't tell everyone this, but we'll give you some geek gold for the micro badge too. Oh, yeah. Get your little Wolford, Show it off. Well, that's not what we're here for
0: today, Scott. We're talking ARCs. This is uh, Leader Games. This is sort of the new hotness. I've been been watching that hotness list on BGG because I'm like, man, how long is ARC Nova going to be in the number one spot? And like every now and then it bumps down to two for something else. Mm I think this morning it was my father's work. Everybody's getting their copy and that's got the number one spot, but ARC Nova's right there at number two. And just last week there was a blip on the radar where it got replaced by ARCs, top of the hotness. By the time this episode goes live, there are four days left on Kickstarter. Uh, Man, this thing's at like 10,000 plus backers, but maybe you, Adventure, are still on the fence about it. Maybe you backed it and you want to hear a little bit more. Maybe you make all of your purchasing decisions based on what Scott and I tell you.
1: (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I don't need the pressure of all that power in my hands here. (laughs) Well,
0: Scott, we're not going to be uh, doing an interview today. I, uh, you know what? If you have the chance, Space Cats Peace Turtles, they're sponsored by Leader Games. They had the chance to have Cole Worley on the show. Uh, I don't know that us plugging SCPT does much for them, but Adventures, if you want to hear, hear it straight from the mouth, Cole Worley was on Space Cats Peace Turtles giving some thoughts. If you want the, uh, the, the, the what, the Bush League, the B team, stick around. We're going we're gonna to tell you all about what <laughs> we thought about it.
1: Well, when we normally do these types of things here, we go through a walkthrough. So, you taught me how to play this game. Someone else taught you how to play this game. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to throw the walkthrough to you, Patrick. All right. I'm on it. Let's do it.
0: Designed by Cole Worley and published by Leader Games, ARX is currently live on Kickstarter. In a game of arcs, three to four players lead their spacefaring society through an epic saga. During the game's five rounds, players will attempt to score public round objectives while keeping endgame objectives in mind as well as their personal objective. At the end of the fifth round, the player with the most points is the winner. So what's going on in the game? Well, let me start with some minor setup stuff just to sort of paint the picture for you. First up, you've got a board showing a map of space with several regions, several of which contain planets. And as you might expect, controlling a planet can yield you resources. Players each start the game with the same number of buildings and ships. Each player has a player board that outlines their ship capabilities, their starting factory, and extractor abilities as well. Simply put, factories are where you can make ships, extractors are how you pull resources from your planets. Underneath that area, you'll find three blank spots for upgrades that you can get throughout play. These come from a market of three cards the players bid for with actions they take throughout the round. Each player gets an endgame objective card, the endgame scoring objective is revealed, and two round objectives are revealed. Now, the main mechanism of the game is a modified trick-taking system through which players will be able to build new ships, new buildings, research tech, move, attack, and more. At the start of the round, each player will have an equal number of these action cards. They're numbered 1 through 5 across 4 suits. Now, the trick-taking is modified in this way. The player with initiative may select any card to play, say an aggression card value 3. They carry out the number of aggression actions given by that card. The next player doesn't have to follow suit. They can play any suit, but they carry out its action only one time. If they follow the lead suit with a higher number, like in this example an aggression card value 5, then they not only get to carry out the action, but they get to do so the number of times shown on their card. But they'll also be given the initiative marker to lead the next hand. Players can also play a card face down to copy the lead suit, but only performing the action once. Going back to our example, suppose I want to do an aggression, but I don't have any aggression cards in hand. Yeah, I have the option of playing any other suit, but I really want an aggression action. I simply play any card from my hand face down, and I get one aggression action. Finally, and quite significantly, a player can play a second card when choosing what to play in order to take the initiative marker and lock it down, guaranteeing that they will lead the next hand. When one player has played the last card from their hand, it marks the final trick for the round, and at the end of the round, technology cards that have been won are awarded to their respective players, and end-round scoring objectives are assessed. Then players reveal the next round scoring objective, shuffle up the action deck, refill the tech market, deal out hands, and begin again. After five rounds, the personal and endgame objective cards are revealed and scored, and the high score is the winner. Now let's take a quick look at combat. If you opt to battle as a result of an aggression action, you simply select a zone with both your units and your opponents. For each ship you have in that zone, you roll a die. So let's suppose you have three ships, you'll get to roll three dice. You roll them, and you count the hits. Interestingly, there's no die rolling for the defender, though. Instead, the dice include hits against your opponent as well as a damage symbol for damage that the attacker takes as a result of the action. Another clever design is that there are three different attack dice to choose from. Basically, you can play it safe with low hit probability, risky, which have a lot of hit symbols, but also a lot of self-damage symbols, or stealing dice, which risk damaging yourself, but they give you the opportunity to steal resources during the attack. There's obviously more than what I went over in this brief walkthrough, and usually this is the part where I highlight some of those aspects. In the case of ARCs, what I want to highlight is that the game is perfectly functional as a one-off standalone experience, but the intent is that players play a three-game set, three games in a row, allowing for story development, achievements, unlocks, powerful abilities, asymmetry, things are going to make the game vary from one three-game set to the next. In any event, I hope this walkthrough gives you an idea of how the game's going to play out when it hits your table. So how did we feel about it while it was on the level-up tavern table? Let's find out in a special 8-bit breakdown of... ARCS! Let me take you on a little trip. My supersonic ship's at your disposal, if you feel so inclined. We're going to travel faster than light, so do your overcoat tight, and you'll go anywhere you want to decide. Too many people, side by side.
1: Patrick, we've had this discussion before. I'm not Patrick, I'm I'm futuristic. Uh, uh, futuristic voice. Patrick, we've had this conversation before. Just cut it out, and let's get down to arcs. Now, this is very much a first impression after a couple plays on TTS. We're going to give this the full breakdown and treat it like a review, but it really is a first impression review. This means we didn't play with the campaign. We didn't get to see how the game evolves from one play to the next. We didn't get to fiddle around with all the little meeples and dice and everything else. Can't wait to fiddle. Yes, But what we did see is how an individual game plays out start to finish. We've learned it. We've taught it. So we're confident in sharing our thoughts. Yes. Confident as we'll ever be.
0: Scott, we like to do the 8-bit breakdown adventures. Those of you that are new to the Level Up Board Game podcast, we like to share our thoughts on a game in 8 bits, 8 facets of the game, beginning with the art and components. You take the floor, sir. Okay, well let's start here. The art's still being developed. Uh, but what was available kind of feels similar. You know what it reminded me of, Scott? Was Gaia Project. Oh, okay. Like it's spacey, kind of kind of comic booky, but it's not like super realistic. Like you don't see the space. it didn't feel epic, you know what I mean? Kind in the same right. fashion that Root was cutesy. This is uh let's call it cute space. Okay, okay. okay. Well we'll work on a trademark for that. <laughs> Components are kind of what you might expect for this sort of game. Some plastic minis for ships and various upgrades, agents, chits for buildings, which are placed on kind of a, honestly, generic space map. There wasn't much to say about the board. It looks, well, let's go back to Gaia Project. It's a board that shows space, right? Yes. Okay. Dark space with stars, planets scattered throughout regions. Nothing special, but it doesn't feel like anything bad. It's not treading new ground. No. You know what is kind of cool? The three different types of attack dice. What a clever way to determine the relentlessness of your assault. And it's another area where a really simple mechanism gives players yet another
1: decision to make during the game. I really like that. It adds that feeling of risk whenever you're playing it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Scott, what we do have to work with though is that this is leader games. And you know, judging by previous projects like Root and Oath, I don't think there's any reason to believe that the production of the game is going to be disappointing in any fashion
1: absolutely not and mentioning the kind of doll game board it takes me back to our last look back we did beyond the sun mm-hmm. this that game there is about as bland as it gets as far as a board goes <laughs> yeah. but we still love the game yeah the magic was in the gameplay and not the presentation That being said, it still has a plane, but I found it kind of welcoming art style with the way that it had things differentiated with the different areas you could go into the areas of blank space Mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Now, once again, we played this on TTS and I know I was constantly having problems seeing what was a factory and what was an industry, but it should be much easier once you get the actual product and you actually have it on your table. Yeah,
0: absolutely. The chits for the factory and for the extractor, they were both just little squares. And on TTS, they were little squares. And one looks like kind of like an industrial complex from Axis and Allies. The other one, the extractor, it's like got more curves to it. But man, you really got to zoom in to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then, then you got to zoom back out to see your game. So at some point it's like, okay, so I get to produce. Uh, where are all my factories? That's where I get my, okay, here, here. And there were a couple times we were like, oh, no, 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 you don't get one there. That's an extractor. But yep. I think you're right. I think that that's probably going to be solved as this makes it to the table
1: instead of the screen. And I think that this is going to be a big thing that colors our initial review of this game as well, because we didn't actually play a physical version of mm-hmm. this.
0: Well, let's segue that to bit number two. Theme and immersion. Thematically, we've got a space forex style game that's meant to be played. Three games in a row in order to tell the story of your civilization. Scott, I don't, I don't know that I told you this while we were playing. I know I mentioned it before the show. This is not meant to be, or was not initially meant to be, a standalone game. What we played, uh, that's, that's small arcs is what they call it. That's the file said and whatnot because it's basically, here's a taste. Here's a sample game. But when you sit down to play arcs, let's say you're coming over to my house and I'm having a couple of the lobsters over, we're supposed to sit down and play a set of three, that's how the game okay. is meant to be. So we th- and there's there's unlocks, there's upgrades, there's things that happen from one game to the next, similar to Oath, very similar. But it's not it's not perpetual. It's not uh, in in perpetuity. It's each of these three games, and that tells the story of your seven. The next time you do a three game set, it's going to be different again. So before I get into too much about theme and immersion, as we weren't able to do that, as to this point, very few people have been able to do that. It's hard to lay out how I feel about the theme and the immersion. I can't wait to play out that three-session style because I, I want to see what it does to it. As far as a single game, I thought it was plenty thematic in the upgrades that you can unlock and whatnot. But the primary mechanism of the game, it's a modified trick-taking system where you don't have to follow the lead. That's not going to introduce a lot of theme. We, we saw this in Brian Baru, High King of Ireland. You weren't trying to gather clans and well, I mean, theoretically you're gathering clans, fighting off Vikings, and marrying off your sons and daughters, but really you were you were looking at the numbers on your cards and you were playing into tricks. Scott, I gotta ask you, how do you feel about these modified trick taking systems? Oh hell oh, uh, oh. Adventure, this is fully off the cuff.
1: <laughs> Scott, you like a lot of trick taking. You've done euchre, yes. hearts, etc. And so- this was This was something I was going to cover in another one of the bits here. But this kind of trick-taking game, yes, I talk about euchre all the time. But it's like, let's play this. Okay, I'm going to take this trick. But then you can take this trick. But then if you play it by this card, you get to copy what the next person is going to do. Well, but then if you play this card, you get to steal this, and then you take the first turn. But then if you play this... And it just gets to that thing where there's so many things. It takes away the beauty of the trick-taking mechanic and makes it something completely different. Hmm. I figured you'd say something like that. Whether or not I like it or not, I don't really know. My initial impression was it seemed fiddly for the reason of being fiddly. They had a mechanic. They had an idea. And they were like, let's toss that in there and see how it works. I don't know. It just did not click with me on that. Okay. So
0: modified trick-taking systems. You're still on the fence
1: about, it sounds to me like you're
0: leaning towards, ah, they're not really clicking. I asked you that because I think we're actually going to agree a little bit. What? A little bit. Yeah. No. The, the whole modified trick-taking system, you mentioned it. You know, the beauty in trick-taking is the simplicity. Being able mm-hmm. to deduce what someone else is going to play based on, you know, seeing, okay, if I led with this card and they, they followed with that, and then the next hand I did, did it again and they followed with this. Right. Well, I can deduce, and, th- and this person's clearly out of cards in that suit. Part mm-hmm. of what makes trick taking fun is that element of deduction and trying to play the table. Shoot the moon, if you will. Whenever you right. don't have to follow suit, when you can play a card face down to copy, when you can follow suit and potentially take the initiative marker and win the trick, but it won't matter because someone else can still take the initiative marker. Rather than making it fiddly or more complex, honestly, I think that that waters down the trick-taking system. More. I don't even know that I would call it trick-taking, but I, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're <laughs> we're still in theme and immersion. Yes, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll give my my final thoughts on, on the theme. Standalone small arcs. I thought it was a fun system to play in, but not terribly thematic i think that the idea as i mentioned is that the three game system with its evolution the play on blight the the imperial faction i think that's what's going to make the game far more thematic what did you Mm -hmm. think about theme and immersion
1: Well, like you, I did not feel really immersed in the game. I felt the pressure of making sure I was watching what other players were doing and to have ships in the right positions and to play the right cards at the right time. Mm -hmm. But that was it. I never felt that I was overlooking my galactic expansion and seeing how I can trample my enemies underfoot. But then again, this was a smaller introductory version that we were playing. So this could build on it. Right now, it really sounds like I'm poo pooing on this game here and just hang on here. Well, things may change. You might come back around. Well, maybe it'll start with complexity. You take the floor for complexity. Bit number three. Okay. This game has a lot of things players have done before area Mm -hmm. control, trick taking, risk management, uh, resource management, upgrades. There's nothing. Oh, yeah. There's nothing that an experienced gamer has not tackled in this game. Putting these all together with the action selection, trick-taking aspect is where the complexity comes. And even then, it's not extremely difficult. But once again, how we talk about a lot of these games, the difficulty comes with what decisions you're going to make. Yes. That's where you really get into the complex things. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think for
0: most folks, Arcs is probably going to land right around medium weight, especially. And if you've seen, like you're saying, Scott, if you're familiar with the you know, hobby board games, you're not going to have anything in here that you're unfamiliar with. This might actually mm-hmm. end up feeling initially like a lighter end of medium, not a lightweight game, but on That's the lighter side of medium. Uh, if you're not familiar with all these, oh, you're gonna, your mind's going to be blown, right? Combat resolution, I mentioned in the walkthrough, and I I brought that up. We normally don't get into things that are super narrow, like how to resolve combat. You know what? If I'm listening to a podcast and they start talking about how you do combat, I I zone right out. I don't care. Tell, Tell me how you feel when you play, right? I specifically brought it up there because the combat resolution, not only is it cool and gives you a neat decision, but it's easy. You get to pick which of the three dice, you are you going to be risky? You really need to blow them up, or are you going to try and steal a resource? You get to pick. Point is, you're not going to forget any narrow, specific rules in this game. How about this? Oath and Root. You get extremely asymmetric positions to the start of the game, to the extent that it makes learning, teaching, and fully understanding those games really complicated In arcs, everyone starts off in the same position, the same capabilities at their disposal, and I think that's going to make it a lot easier to dive into
1: than a lot of folks might expect. Now, I know we didn't get a rule book, but you did have someone teach you how to play this. Okay, yeah. Well, we were fortunate. I was was
0: fortunate enough to be taught uh, by Mr. Will Brown, the Hungry Gamer. So the first play was with Will and Dawn from The Secret Cabal, as I mentioned last week. As we played, a handful of questions did come up, but they were easily resolved with the available rulebook. Now, the rulebook's still a work in progress, but we did have one to work with PDF format, and it was relatively thorough. Uh, I can't give it a definitive stance on the final rulebook as it's evolving, but, you know, what we can speak to is the learning curve. Mm-hmm. Learning curve, learning the game, not that hard. Figuring out the nuances of the game, how to maximize your cards, when to steal that initiative marker—wow! I, honestly, I think an experienced player is going to crush new players every time.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you on this. This can be learned quite easily. Granted, I did mention before it does get a little fiddly when it comes to the action selection, trick taking. Yes, I'm doing video kind of things here and audio. The I need good quotes. audio. The air quotes. Ah. You need to play the whole game and not get hyper focused on one part of the game. I know I did that. I was really trying to pay attention to the trick taking when I was going to be playing a certain card and Mm -hmm. when I shouldn't play a card. And whenever you get too concerned about that, the other parts of the game are going to bite you in the butt. Right. If you focus on the trick-taking, the resource management will get you. If you worry about the resource management, the area control will get you. So you need to be able to focus on the whole game and not hyper-focused on one certain place. So, I mean, it does really go to the point that there's not just one path to victory here. You have to look at the whole game. Very well put. I think learning curve,
0: we would both agree the learning curve is relatively quick, relatively simple Yes. skill curve. And the potential to become more skilled in this system, though, that's absolutely there.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Well, let's move on to bit number five, where we talk about where's the meat of the game. When you're looking over your game shelf and you're trying to figure out what game you pick out and put on the table, there's something that always pulls you to, to this game or that game. What's that part of arcs that's going to have you going, yeah, we're putting that back on the table?
1: Whenever I'm looking at my shelf and I see that game up there, the first thing that's going to come to my mind is are the cards mm-hmm. to me the cards are the biggest part or the slab of meat in the game if you will without playing the correct cards for what you need at that time the whole game withers before your eyes it's such an important part of when do you want to steal the initiative when do you want to copy when do you want to just play along and and just stay under the everyone's radar and just play your game until you pounce on it and make it your game. The cards are the biggest part to me. Yeah, I agree. It's it's 100% what, in, the, in okay. the action
0: cards and that modified trick-taking system. You know what? If Well, we mentioned there's, there's four different suits, right? So say that you're going in the aggression suit. There's only cards numbered one through five. The one and the two have three symbols on it, meaning that you'll get three aggression actions. The three and the four, uh, I think it's the three and the four, each have two and the five, Mm -hmm. the high number card. And it might be the four and the five. I don't recall. I'm not looking at the cards right now, but they only have one. So what's really interesting is whenever you're dealt your initial hand for the round and you look and you're like, oh, I got a bunch of fours and fives. This is awesome. That is awesome, but it's not awesome because Mm -hmm. if you want to carry out multiple actions, like if you want to take an aggression action and get three movements, three movement actions, well, you need a one. Right, You need one of the low number cards. So a lot of the game revolves around winning a trick or playing a second card to steal the initiative, lock it down for yourself. Because the only way that you're getting more than an action or sometimes two is when you lead the trick and you play a one card or a two card. Oh, that's when you get to hammer home and like finally get that payoff for the the work mm-hmm. of trying to get the initiative marker and, and set yourself up in a position. It all comes down to that moment where you're able to, aha, I have the initiative. I have this this three card, you know, the, the one value card with three actions on it. Bam. Oh, my goodness. But you know what I think makes that is the fact that the game relies so much on just – no, not relies. It relies entirely on end of round goals, one end right. game goal, and your personal objective. That's yep, very much all so. the points you can get. I mean, that is it. And I think that makes you have to hyper-focus on the tactical. What can I do right now? That makes the card play of utmost importance. The timing of the cards that you play to get maximum value, I agree with you, Scott. That's absolutely the meat of arcs. Well, having said that, bit number six is where we talk replayability and variability. Let's reference again that the game is meant to be played over a course of three games, each with their own adjustments, evolutions, etc. So I think both replayability and variability have the chance to go up a
1: ton in that mini campaign mode. But what do you think, Scott, as far as a one-off game? This is a tough one to respond to. Like you said, this was a shorter version to try out. That being said, we got a taste a tapas, if you will, of what the main course <laughs> the of what appetizer. ARCs is. <laughs> sure. Um, So it, it gave us a little taste of it. This may not have had a profound effect on me looking at this little bit, but it was enough to whet my appetite for what could be coming further mm-hmm. with more of the game. So even though I may seem negative on this, it's mostly me just being negative on what we had and not what we're going to In the get The one sample playthrough. Yes. It got me interested into what's going on and hearing you talk about more of the stuff that's going to be coming out. It's really like, okay, I better not turn my head on this. This looks like it's going to be uh, one of those games that you want to come back to time and time again. Well, that one-off game isn't,
0: Uh, It's not terribly short of variables that you might expect from from game to game. I mean, obviously, you've got those developed – like the the technology cards, they come up in a different order, and you've got these big ones that are introduced at the end of the game. There's going to be variation there. Even if you're just doing one-offs, that's big. But the end-of-round scoring and the end-game scoring card mix with your personal objectives because those are basically the only ways to score points. They're profound, and they can change even in the standalone game. Let me put it to you like this. In a game like Wingspan, you have those same targets, but it's not uncommon to fall kind of short on them and still potentially win because of the point value mm-hmm. and the eggs on your birds. You know I mean? You can pick up those ancillary points in all these other ways. In arcs, these scoring cards, that's it.
1: That's it. That's it. That is it.
0: That is it, and they dictate play. And as you might expect, each game is going to be really different because of it. Scott, in our game, we had an endgame target called Warlord, Remember that one? Basically, you just have to kill a ton yes. of the opponent ships. That's going to be a really different kind of game. That's going to have us getting aggressive with each other. What if, what if our in-game dealt instead with how many upgrades you've acquired? What does True. that do to the play? And then what if the round goals, what if we see rounds one, two, and three, there's virtually nothing with attacking. Then round four, suddenly both of them, poof, they're attacking. Holy crap, there's a lot of variability from round to round in the game. What does that do to the valuation of each of the different action cards and how you might pursue the game? I think it's going to change the pace and the feel from one play to the next based on the fact that those scoring cards, that is it. That's all you have to work with as far as winning the game, and you're given this Big board and all these upgrades and all these things to do this (laughs) trick-taking system, all with your eyes set on those two end of round. How am I going to get these two end of round this round? What's coming up next round? How am I going to get those? I thought it did pretty good with with the replayability and variability from what I saw.
1: Yeah, I, I think that this will shine once you get more plays into it. Once you get the whole idea of how everything flows into each other that's whenever this game's gonna shine. Because once again, looking at that base game that we played, you're so busy trying to figure out how A goes to B and B goes to C, C goes to D. But once you get that, yeah, this, this thing's gonna shine and you're gonna see what a special kind of game it is.
0: Number seven is where we look at the potential downsides. What we thought was a downside, or what we think you might find to be a downside. Scott, I feel like you've got a little bit more to say than I do, so I'll start this one out, and if I if I cover one of yours, so be it. First of all, all right, there's no catch-up mechanism here. If you're getting toasted, you're just getting toasted. Second of all, small arcs doesn't feel like the experience as Mr. Worley intends. I think the robust experience is going to come from those series, the three game sets, which I think for a lot of folks folks... that's going to restrict their ability to fully enjoy it or for that matter, even get it to the table. Mm -hmm. The third one I mentioned, Scott, and this is where I'll harp on it again. I'm still on the fence on how I feel about modified trick-taking systems. Uh, And I referenced Brian Brew here again. I I think by removing the requirement of having having to follow suit, you lose that very thing that makes trick-taking such an exciting system. The ability to deduce what players are going to do, what they're holding, trying to capitalize appropriately based on what you think they have – These modified systems, they let you play whatever you want. So it's not even trick-taking. It's just pick an action card, and if it happens Mm -hmm. to be of the lead suit, well, you get a bonus. Is it higher? Hey, you may or may not end up with the initiative next round. Otherwise, just play your card face down and copy. Play another card and just get a a one-shot action. You know what I
1: mean? That's pretty much my point right there. The rules for the trick-taking aspect... I just think are a little too finicky because it doesn't feel like a real trick-taking thing. You follow the suit unless you want to do this, then pay that, or you can copy the first player by playing that. It also adds maybe one too many if-thens to the equation, if you ask me. I know I mention a lot, but being the Euchre player, I get caught up in the flow of playing that, and this just makes me pump the brakes, and it slows down my play. So it's not... I don't get the flow of going through this action flows into that action to that yeah, action. Yeah, I know exactly what you it's mean. It's like I'm driving down the turnpike in Pennsylvania, hitting potholes all the way.
0: <laughs> Which, if you driven down the turnpike in Pennsylvania, it's a guarantee it's going to yes. happen. You know what exactly. I think might make me say, oh, this, this isn't necessarily a downside. I, I brought it up in downsides, but I think the reason is if they didn't describe it as trick-taking, it would never have crossed yeah. my mind. If they just said, it's just play an action card and there happens to be a lead suit. Like if you look at all your cards and say, these are all single action cards. But if I happen to follow the lead and I happen to take initiative, some of my cards have the potential to give me more than one action. If that's all it was, like it's an action selection system with cards that happens to have a lead suit, because I like the system. I just, I think that being taught it like, okay, you've done trick-taking games, right? And they're with my eyes all watery. yeah, yeah, I've, I've done trick-taking, this could be... T- and then it's not really what I was expecting as far as trick-taking goes. But maybe may be a downside to some if they're expecting trick-taking. In, in my case, I think as long as I calibrate my expectation, it's really not a downside, which is going to bring me to bit number eight. Was it fun? Who's it for?
1: Well, it got a... An- for mm-hmm. me, it was a good game, but it just didn't scratch the itch for me. If I had a choice between this. Okay, Patrick, I hope you're sitting down here. For oh this. Boy. If I had a choice between this and a game of Twilight Imperium, <gasps> I might go Twilight Imperium Yay! first. Now, I don't want to <laughs> say that I hate the game. It just didn't vibrate at the right frequency to turn me on to it. This is definitely for a gamer that likes. I felt. Area control was a big thing here because that really, in our game, had a lot to do with the end goal. Yes. You had to have so many areas that you had filled up there. We definitely had a mean game going. Yeah. So I felt that even with all these other parts of the game, that is where a great deal of import comes down to being successful in this game. I'm personally terrible at area control games, so that's (laughs) why it didn't really jive with me there may be other aspects or other end goals that pop up that are like oh this is it but it's like do you want to go into a game with a one in six chance that it's going to be the game you want it to be i don't know but i'm going to kind of hedge my bets on this and wait a little bit and see whatever comes out and see what it's like it's definitely a- an on hold for me fair points Fair points. Now you, I I think you were a little bit up on this game. Oh, I backed it. what did you think? I backed it. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be playing it with
0: me more and more. Scott, we do a ton of previews for this show. And I think about half of them – when I say we do a ton of previews, we don't put a whole bunch on the show. I mean – adventurers, look at your podcast feed for the six or seven podcasts that you listen to. I would bet that six or seven of them are talking about arcs right right about now or are about to or just did, right? Only about half of the preview games that you and I play on TTS or play with a designer actually make it into an episode. And I would guess that only about half of those do I actually back. But arcs Mm -hmm. will be on my shelf. But that said, who's this for? Cole Worley kept a design diary. It's available on BGG in the ARC's forum. In it, he states that he was trying to capture the 4X game experience in a much shorter time frame. And he also wanted to incorporate a little bit of like a Civ building feel. And I think he achieved it here. I think if you love Eclipse or Twilight Imperium, but you want to condense that playtime. Yeah, obviously this is a different game. You're not going to walk away like, oh man, that was, that was like an epic TI game. No, this is a different game but I don't think you're going to feel like you got cheated on thoughtful gameplay either. Further, if you enjoyed Brian Brew or other games with this sort of modified trick-taking system, this injects a lot of theme into that, not to mention that three-game set. I, I keep calling it a mini-campaign mode to keep it coming off the shelf and onto the table. So, initial thoughts, I like it, I backed it. Scott I wants to see more. He's ready for yeah, chapter exactly. two.
1: <laughs> yeah, very much so.
0: Well Scott, we gotta go do I don't know, do we have to leave the room to go to a different area to finish the episode? What do we how do we do this? We normally
1: have a designer interview here. Oh, you're right, you're right. Um I got it. Hold on. Hello? Patrick, can I come in? <laughs> oh, I don't even know what bit you're doing right now. All right, here I am. So, giving the thoughts here afterwards. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was our thoughts on ARCs. And uh, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Please hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Did you back it? Do you like it? Do you not like it? I'd love to see what other people Like I like seeing whenever I follow certain people, I see what games they like, Mm -hmm. and then I kind of figure out, do they like the same games I do? Maybe there's something I'm missing and I need to take another look at Mm -hmm. it. So your feedback does mean a lot to us.
0: Scott, i got to tell you, it's kind of neat having the podcast going. We have the opportunity to play these games before they go live. Now, Adventurers, they do have this available on TTS now, uh, open to the to the public, not just kings like Scott. So if you wanted to try out small arcs, it is available on TTS. Easy to find if you just look up for the workshop, and I think there's a link to it on the Kickstarter. But I tell you what, it's kind of cool to be able to sit down with, with designers and with other content creators and be taught a game, play a game before it even goes live. How do you feel about being on that side of, of gaming?
1: Because I think we're both relatively new to, to that. I think the thing that I really enjoy is getting a chance to talk to the designer as we're playing the game to hear their excitement about it. To hear oh, yeah. what parts they like about it. Being able to relay that excitement to other people and hopefully help them get their dream fulfilled by getting their game out on Kickstarter or something. That means a lot to me personally. I I really like whenever any small type of way that we can possibly help somebody out get something done. That's something there helping that's to get a game very published.
0: special. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely what get the enthusiasm think? whenever you're talking with with designers as you're playing their game. Like you can tell every time that they they do something, or, or quite frankly, I love it whenever. Like I think because I'll talk out loud when I'm playing and I'll think that I'm making a real clever play, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm gonna do something that designers never seen someone do before," because I'm a really smart gamer, and I make <laughs> the move, and and they're like, "Ah, uh-huh. like they can tell, like they've seen this before, obviously, but they can tell <laughs> that my gears are turning." And like yes. like I can't see them, but you know they got a big smile on their face. You can hear it in their voice, much like you can mine now. They're like, Ah, there you go. And now now you can besiege the castle because you moved them there. And like, <laughs> oh, I did the thing. It worked out. You know, and ah. Uh. That is that's so exhilarating to be able to to get that from the designer. It makes every game better. I'll tell you what if you if you're if you're one of those folks that buys too many board games, never play games with designers because their enthusiasm is contagious and <laughs> you could be playing tic tac toe and you'd be like, oh, I got to buy the deluxe version. Of it. <laughs> oh my! So this episode is going live. We're at Origins, I guess. Uh, what might we
1: be doing, Scott? What do you got on the agenda Thursday at Origins? So on Thursday, I have limited things going on. We are going to have a chance to meet Court from Thames and Cosmos, and we have a media first look at different things going on there. So that's going to be exciting. But my thing, whenever I go to Origins, I don't like to schedule a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I like to go out. I like to go up and down through the vendor hall, talk to all the designers, the people showing off the games. Just pull in the whole vibe of Origins because it is such a special time for me. I remember the first time that I went, it was absolutely amazing. I was blown away five years ago going to my first one and now going back as a content creator. It's such a different beast now. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to go back, see a bunch of friends I made there. I find it funny that I traveled to Columbus, Ohio. To see people that live maybe 20 minutes away from me, why I have to go to Columbus to see Ah, them and I don't see them any other part (laughs) of the time of the year. I don't know, but that's what happens. But, yeah, I will be the social butterfly running around all over the place, having a grand old time with everybody I possibly can. That's wonderful. What are you looking forward to?
0: All sorts of things, and much of what you said, too. You know what? I'm a little bit on the opposite. I did schedule a handful of things. You and Jason both said, whatever you do, don't over schedule. So I made it a point mm. not to. But one of my biggest things was I've got a handful of new games on the shelf, and you know me. I. I don't struggle to learn new games. I struggle to find the time to sit down and learn it and then immediately get it to a table. So I very strategically scheduled a bunch of games that I already own, but I don't want to have to learn on my own. So now I can (laughs) show up at Origins and sit down and be like... Yes, I might be purchasing this after you teach me and <laughs> have them teach the game, play the game, and then immediately be like, come home and, all right, guys, we're going to play some Oath now, you know, whatever it might be. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. I, I think the camaraderie is is. Probably the most important factor to me. We're going out in the, the war wagon, much like we did in PAX. Nikki's going to be our, our uh, well, not just the driver, but we'll say the leader. She uh, She's going to be spearheading the wagon, getting out there. We get the Airbnb going. My wife's coming out on Sunday. She and my daughter are both going to be at the con. They're going to go to the zoo on, uh, on Saturday. We're actually going to stay Sunday night to make it a little easier of a trip home. So really looking forward to it. And adventurers, if you're listening today because you are not at Origins maybe listen in tonight. Uh, Tonight, tomorrow, I'm not sure how we're going to do this, Scott, or if we're even going to do it, but we do intend on picking up some audio, doing a little chatting in the evening. Disclosure, I do a lot of editing. It takes a lot of time to make an episode of Level Up. I think we might just do an off the cuff. You're going to hear every um and every Uh, that we do and just hear all about our days at origin maybe we'll do one a night maybe we'll do one at the end of the con i don't know but if you're not there as we said at the top of the episode do live vicariously through us if you are there right now what are you doing listening to level up get back in the hallway and play some
1: games i say what do you what do you say next week um Meeples and monsters? That's the boy,
0: that one's been on there for a while. We gotta get to meeples and monsters. That's the plan. Next week tune in, we're gonna be talking meeples and monsters from AEG among the usual buffet of gaming goodness. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Till next time. Adios amigos. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There, you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.